Welcome to Republic of Camberville. The following radio play, What's to Come, was written and produced by me, Danielle Monroe, and features Shah Jahan Khan as Rahi. Please be sure to stick around at the end of the episode for two very special announcements. Please enjoy. If you're just joining us today, my guest is first-time novelist Rahi Matthew, author of the best-selling book, What's to Come. Rahi Matthew, welcome back. Thank you for having me. What's to Come is a story about a dystopian future where some humans have undergone elective surgeries to implant devices that augment senses or abilities. Rahi, am I getting that right? Uh, yeah, that, that that's right. Um, in this world, uh, children get these devices implanted at a young age as... Um, you know, uh, uh, a way to get an advantage. So uh, one person might have the ability to hear as high as dogs can. Um, another uh, might be able to see infrared light. And these aren't superpowers, right? Uh, um, no, just... Uh, uh, Augmenting what our brains can already do. Yes. Uh, these devices basically hack our other synapses uh, in our brains to do things they couldn't really do before. The story follows Rahul, who is leading this quiet life in a small town with his wife and daughter, and discovers somewhat late in his life that he has one of these cognitive implants. Uh, yes. Um, he's uh, he struggled with, uh, with migraines for most of his life, and he learns he had one of these implants put in him when he was a child. Um, he was adopted when he was a toddler and doesn't remember anything about his birth parents. Okay, so he experiences time slower. Well, he has, uh, he, his reaction time is uh, twice as fast as the average person's, so he can react faster and also see how certain situations, you know, will, will play out before they do. Okay, so he can see into the future then. No, well, well, not not really. Um, he's he's just good at running through all the probabilities quickly, um, sort of like a, a computer would. Um, and he can figure out the possibility with the greatest probability of happening. Rahul's coming to terms with his past in the middle of a social uprising. Yes, that's correct. Rahi, do you need some water? No. No, no, I'm okay. Do you want to take any of your answers again? You think I need to? It's up to you. I'm sure it's fine. You know what? We'll just keep going. Okay. <clears throat> Rahul falls in with these other augmented humans called abnormals, and this groups get hunted first by radical groups, but eventually by governments as well. Yes. Um, the uh, the environment gets more dangerous with hurricanes and um, air quality problems, and the economy starts to nosedive, and the populace looks for something to blame. And this isn't science fiction. Uh, I'm... What I mean is, is it doesn't feel like science fiction to me, and that's been noted in a number of the very prominent reviews you've received. Here's a quote from Rebecca Fine, book critic at The New Yorker. What's to Come presents a nuanced and achingly human portrait of the need for connection and the grave consequences of isolation, presented in a world that is realistic perhaps because of its futuristic dystopian themes. The prose is steady and at times luminous. Oh, wow. That's high praise for a debut novel. What did you think when you read that? Uh, that's, um, 
I, I hadn't read that. Seriously? Is the first time you're hearing this review from Rebecca Fine at The New Yorker? Yeah, uh, it's, um, I'm, I'm not sure what to say. Um, that, that's very nice of her to say. Wow. Hasn't read any reviews. That's incredible. Well, um, I found the story very relatable and very reflective of what's going on now in our global society. Rahul is thrown into this fight that he really doesn't want any part of, but he has to protect his family and he doesn't really fit the mold of all the other augmented humans. He's not rich. He's not from a powerful family. He doesn't have a lot of opportunities that the other abnormals have to defend himself. No, he doesn't. So what drew you to this? I, uh... Um, I, I first wrote about this idea when I was a teenager. Um, I had this friend in high school who'd been deaf until he got the uh, the cochlear implant. And I remember thinking it, um, it wouldn't be long before that type of uh, technology would be expanded. What's remarkable about this is that most of our listeners will hear you explain the concept of this book and think how timely it is with the case of Yu Yan. Yu Yan, as most of our listeners know, the 20-year-old woman in China who's been in the news as the recipient of what's called the photoretinoid implant, an implant that allows her to see a broader spectrum of color. But you say you've been thinking about this idea for decades. That's true. So you're a visionary. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. The novel dives into the same debate we're having today about the moral ethics of technology and whether the fact that we can means that we should. But the central thrust of the book is about a group of abnormals. Once they come together, coming to grips with what they must do and who they must kill for their own survival. <clears throat> uh, yes. <clears throat> you were in the Marines for 12 years, three tours. How did that experience influence your writing? Uh, can, can I? Are you Are you okay? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Just a minute. You are doing great, Rahi. Yeah. I'm just nervous. Well, you know what? Let's take five. No, no, no. It's okay. Are you sure? It's not a problem. We can edit around this. Yeah, no. I uh, I, I want to keep going. I, I want to get this over with. <laughs> okay. Well, um, just try to calm down. Take your time. We can always take an answer again. Okay. We're back. Rahi, you were in the Marines for 12 years, three tours, during some of the bloodiest months of the Middle East armed conflict. How did that experience influence your writing? I enlisted in the Marines when I was 19, and my last tour ended the day after my 32nd birthday. I entered the military with a certain idea of the man I was and the things I wanted to achieve with my life. I exited the military having achieved more than I could have dreamed of as a 19-year-old, but I'd also made mistakes. And those mistakes had much greater consequence than they would have if I'd been a civilian. What do you mean by mistakes? Murdering other people. Uh, are you, so, excuse me, you're, so you're saying that you murdered others while on All deployment. my kills uh, were by order. I followed the orders handed down to me and most kills were justified. If I had not engaged in fire, I or my unit would have been wounded or killed. But you were following orders. Orders given to me by other men. If I had not engaged in fire, I or my unit would have been wounded or killed. But some kills were labeled strategic, and these, I believe, are murder. 
Okay, that's interesting. So you believe these orders were not well considered? I mean, how do you know that you or your unit wouldn't have been wounded or killed had you not followed that order? I can't know for sure. But I can say that in these cases, the targets did not pose an immediate threat to my person or to my unit. In two cases, there was collateral damage. And while I was following orders, it was me alone who pulled the trigger, so to speak. It wasn't always a gun. The responsibility, morally speaking, rests with me. Rahi, are you referring to drone strikes? I did carry out drone strikes as part of my duties. You know, I have to wonder what other servicemen think about your perspective. It's controversial. What do you say to those fellow Marines who disagree with you? I'd like to believe my actions protected the civilians of my country. And most of them did. Um, most of my service was honorable. I. I don't believe morally all of it was. I understand the brave men and women I served with feel differently about their actions, and I don't want to take anything away from them. It's just how I view, morally speaking, what I've done. And you don't see this as disrespectful to their service? It's my view of my service, and that's... Okay, okay. You know what? But we'll just... Let's just move on. Okay. <clears throat> Rahi, have you become more religious since leaving the military? I don't need to join a church uh, to develop moral responsibility. Um, I will say meditation and yoga and writing this book actually has, uh, has helped me reintegrate into civilian life. Did you work on the novel as a type of therapy? You could say that, I guess. Well, how would you say it? My mother, uh, my dad died when I was five, and it was mostly me and my mom growing up. She, um, she had this policy, you could call it, of, um, of not waiting. Uh, she didn't suffer dreamers, you could say. If you wanted to do something, um, to, to try something, then you needed to do it. No, uh, no, like, one day I'll do this, or one day I'll be this. When I told her I wanted to be a writer, <laughs> She made me sit down and write, and when I wrote my first short story, she had me revise it and send it out for publication. <laughs> Did it get published? Uh, thankfully, no. It, it was it was awful. None of the things I tried really worked. I um, I wanted to be an actor for a month, and she took me to audition at our local community theater. I was the only one who didn't get cast, um, not even as an understudy or a part of the crew, but. I wasn't scared of rejection, and um, and by the time I graduated high school, I think I had a sense of myself my other peers didn't. Um, I remember feeling so much older, even though we were the same age. Um, I knew my strengths and that I was capable. And when I joined the Marines, I had to learn to depend on others. It was hard at first. Um, but I had purpose. Uh, we were doing this important thing together. Every day mattered. Did you have trouble readjusting to civilian life? When I left, I, I was 19 again in a lot of ways. Um, but I knew what I was capable of, you know, uh, capable of inflicting. Um, I had sins living inside me. The days felt really long. Um, I'd spend hours just sitting and, and 
remembering certain missions, certain days. Do you miss it? Uh, yes, I, I still do. <laughs> but um, I knew there was no sense in sitting around um, waiting to become someone else. What your mother taught you. Yes. Writing this book helped me reflect on my experiences in the Marines, but also move forward in my, uh, in my civilian life. Let's switch gears briefly and talk about the setting for this book. You toured around the world as part of the Marines. How many cities or countries would you say that you went to? That's classified. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, just a joke. Um, sorry. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe a dozen. Okay. Um, well, the book takes place in a town called Somerville where you grew up. Is that correct? Yes, that's, that's correct. Um, I moved back. Uh, while I was writing the book. Was it the same as you remembered? Not at all, no. Um, it felt more like a, a city than than the town that I grew up in, you know. Um, so many more restaurants, so many more people. I, I didn't recognize a lot of it at first, but I guess coming out of the military, I was looking for, um, well, you know, when you think about a place, uh, people tend to think of it in extremes. Um, the people are extreme in one way or the other. Um, conservative, liberal, uh, zealot, atheist, black, white, you forget all the nuance um, that exists in their lives. So by anchoring the book in, in a real place, I had to answer to the faces that I saw every day. Um, the overwhelmingly courteous, generous, and well-intentioned people, just, just like living that the overwhelming, the overwhelmingly courteous, generous and, and well-intentioned people just living that day uh, as best they could. Um, I had to get it right. Well, I'd argue you did just that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with author Rahi Matthew right after this. Rahi, you're doing great. Really. Can, can we get you something, maybe something to drink, some water? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> water, water would be great. Thanks. All right. All right. Back in a minute. Hey, hey, Rahi, are you sure that you're okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here you go. Thank you. Are you are you ready to keep going? Yeah. Are you sh sure we can take Okay. Great. Sounds good. <clears throat> good. <clears throat> Okay. We are back with Rahi Matthew, author of What's to Come. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about how Rahi's military history as a Marine has influenced his writing. Rahi, this is your debut novel. Did you ever imagine it would be so successful? Oh, no. Um, this is way beyond my wildest dreams. Um, 
I'm, I'm glad so many people connected with it. So what do you think you'll explore in your next book? Nothing. Um, I won't write another book. This is it for me. Really? Well, that's surprising given all your success. Why not? I, I have cancer. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, is it? Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Yes, it's advanced. It's, it's okay. I'm I'm so sorry. This is this is not something we knew about beforehand. Is, is that correct? That that's right. I um I, I haven't told oh, anyone. Okay. Yet. <laughs> you're uh, you're the first human I've I've told. I'm at I'm at a bit of a loss here. It's okay. It's not though, is it? <laughs> Treatment? No. Not not for me. Um, I, I don't have any family. My mother's passed. I don't have any real reason to keep fighting. I have about a year, they say, so I'd rather spend that time doing something else. Like what? What will you do? I'm not sure. Um, I, I have another month on the book tour. Not sure what I'll do after. Um, my mother always wanted me to spend time in India, um, where my father grew up. Right, your father. He uh, he died when I was five. Right, and he was from India. He was Indian. Yes. So, have you ever been? No, I uh, I never have. Um, I'm I'm not sure I will now. Uh, I, I'd only be doing it for her. Um, I have second cousins and, and distant aunts and uncles, but. Um, I, I don't see the point in uh, in connecting with them now, um, but but I, I would like to travel. Um, I've lived most of my life uh, looking at places and, and focusing on how they're changing and growing. Everything's a, you know, a, a mission. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, a mission, uh, a process. Um, I, I look at a place and I see how it could be, uh, for good or or for bad, um, r rather than how it is. Um, I'd like to see the world for what it is right now. I I hope that this isn't insensitive. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. I, I just, I can't believe this is your only book. I wish there were more. Thank you, I guess. Um, my only stain on, on the world. <laughs> Why do you say stain? Just a, just an expression, I guess. Um, but, but also, I, I think there's something beautiful about coming into the world doing your part and and leaving it without a, a trace you know um when i die i, I don't want to be buried i, I don't want a headstone i, I want to exit the world as anonymously as as i entered it so you're not interested in any legacy it's never been important to me i, I think if you're living your life to make sure other people remember you when you're gone you're you're, you're probably a pretty selfish person <laughs> you jeez. <clears throat> You seem so calm about all of this. I've never, I've never been afraid of death. Um, it, it's the people that you miss, and, and I know people will miss me, but I have no one who depends on me. Um, most people, you know, most people don't know when their lives will end, and so they live decades afraid of the unknown. I've just not wasted my life in fear. Do you think you're? Do you think your mother would be proud of what you've done? I hope so. Gosh, Rahi, I am not sure where to go from here. <laughs> yeah.
I've been doing this show for 16 years and I've never had an interview like this. It's, it's okay. I'm, I'm here with you now and, and part of me just wants to keep you talking because I know I'll probably never get to again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea how we're going to edit this. I think we just need to do the sign off. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is there anything else that you want to add? I, I can't imagine. The book is called What's to Come. Rahi Matthew, thank you. Oh, actually, um, Rahi, we never had you read any of your book. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah, we'll we'll need to edit this interview somehow, um, but I'd like to get some of your prose in here. Sure, sure. So how about page eight, the part about childhood? Yeah, okay. That would fit in perfectly. Just go into it? Yeah, whenever you're ready and... And Rahi, for what it's worth, I'm I'm so sorry. It's okay. When you're ready. Somerville was a town like any other from a distance, yet mysterious and unique up close. At least, that's how Rahul saw it from where he stood, at the center of it all. A small town belongs to no one more than an eight-year-old boy in the summer. No matter how many times Somerville shows him it's changed, how it's grown, Rahul can remember his world like he saw it then. Grass-stained toes clawing their way up the trunks of hundred-year-old maples. Lemonade stands nestled between garage sales. Fallen ice cream cones dying on the concrete. He lived that summer as if hidden heroes watched his every move, eager to rescue him, but happy to wait until needed. Bravery sprouting in misplaced confidence. The sun rose on the promise of adventure. It was up to him to capture it. The fact that everything would work itself out was not worth the thought. The world held boundless discovery, safety always assured. He didn't know then, as he did now, how each of those fleeting summer days was leading to adulthood, passion, heartbreak, shame. He hadn't known, how could he, that those same unburdened days would become the bedrock of the man he is now. How in his moments before succumbing to sleep, his wife at his side, his son in the room beside him, he catches himself imagining he's in his childhood bed, back to the wall, curtains rustling in the humid breeze. He had it then, of course. The seed was already there, dormant in his young brain. But as everything falls away, he becomes that boy easily soaring into his dreams, oblivious to the beauty and danger patiently waiting. Thanks for listening to the finale episode of Republic of Camberville. The following radio play, What's to Come, was written and performed by me, Danielle Monroe, and features Shah Jahan Khan, a man of many talents. When Shah Jahan isn't acting, you can check him out with his band, The Kaminas. Special thanks to Lenoy Alexander, Tina Abramson, Lily Kuti Matthew, and KV Alexander for their support. And what to say to the legend, Darren Vermas? an auditory visionary, a post-production conquistador, a man, nay, a god of the audio sphere, 
And while none of those descriptions make any sense, I hope they express my gratitude and appreciation for helping me make this series a reality. And finally, two very special announcements. First, Republic of Camberville will be coming back in 2020 for a season two. And I want your fiction to be a part of it. As of today, I'm accepting submissions of short stories, short short stories, and radio plays. Your prose could be produced with professional actors and shared with a new audience for free. Submit now through March 31st. More information at daniellehmonroe.com slash submit. And if you like Republic of Camberville, please consider donating to help make season two a reality. Starting today, I'm launching a Kickstarter campaign. Donate now and you can earn some pretty cool stuff. You could name a character for season two, or two lucky donors will have their life dramatized and produced for an episode. That's right, your life story could be an upcoming episode of Republic of Camberville. Act quickly, Kickstarter is on now through the end of 2019. More information at daniellehmonroe.com support. Thanks for listening to season one of Republic of Camberville. Please remember to leave us a review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'll see you soon.